1: at one 800 743 cbc or tweet me at Jim Kramer. How do you explain today's incredible action with the Dow surging 555 points? Ah. S&P soaring 1.78%. NASDAQ poll voting 1.85%. Wasn't the election supposed to freak people out? But the opposite happened. Ah. We ended up with a bizarrely bullish session where both the Biden stocks and the Trump stocks rallied. Obviously, both candidates can't win, right? So what drives this kind of counterintuitive move? First off, after the most rancorous campaign of my lifetime, people are just think really going to be over. The contest itself has taken a real toll on business, though. Soon that's over, too. I speak to tons of CEOs and money managers off on camera. They can't be sure of their next move until they find out who'll be president. Candidly, and none of them has been able to articulate why it matters so much. The big differences between Trump and Biden are on social issues not economic ones. I think for these CEOs, the end of the campaign means the end of the viciousness, end of the embarrassment, end of the anger. Trump, hate him or like him, he is the most deliberately polarizing candidate I can remember. He does make Nixon look like a bit of a choir boy, something that clearly appeals to a lot of people. That's okay. Once the race is finally over, there's an assumption that maybe some of the tension will be dialed back, regardless of who wins. In other words, Maybe America can finally chill out starting tomorrow, or at least this week. Second, there's a newfound and perhaps naive consensus that our democracy is stronger than partisan rancor. Wouldn't that be something? Meaning we may actually have an orderly transfer of power if uh, Joe Biden wins. Or if you want to be more cynical, a lot of buyers believe Biden will win so decisively that we'll be able to call the race early and go to bed by midnight. I, on the other hand, have no idea whatsoever what will occur and have said over and over and over again since 2016, you have to base your investment decisions on the hand you've been given, not the one you anticipate when it comes to presidential elections. Third and most important, this market can roar because it's already been bent, spindled, and mutilated. Last week, we got hit with a more than 5% decline, and that week this was heavily concentrated in the big winners, including the ones that had just reported fantastic quarters. Very depressing for growth investors. Remember, Apple reported a much better than expected number, yet its stock got clobbered anyway. Microsoft gave you a picture-perfect beat. The stock got slammed. I still can't believe that Amazon got taken apart after a magnificent upside surprise. But the analysts didn't want to hear about big COVID costs, even though Facebook's practically printing money. We heard more about potential regulations than actual earnings per share. AMD delivered arguably the best quarter of the year. The stock got hammered. Why? Because they decided to make a major acquisition. Of the big tech names, only Alphabet was able to rally because they were a lot more transparent about the strength of their underlying businesses, including Google, YouTube, and Google Cloud Services. In short, it was a truly awful week where any negativity was magnified by the widespread desire to get out of stocks before election day. So many people tried to front run that sell off that it happened a week ahead of schedule. When they came in yesterday and everything was fine, they said, oh, I guess we got to start buying a back hand over fist. And that continues today. Fourth reason for the rally. Once the election's behind us, pretty much everybody presumes the Congress will pass some kind of stimulus package, maybe later this month, maybe in January. Both parties are committed to pumping at least a trillion bucks into the economy, perhaps uh, targeted businesses that will have to close, and there we're thinking, yes, this is that limited close, bars, restaurants, and gyms. Stimulus also means different strokes for different spokes. The heavy machinery stocks roared off the possibility of an infrastructure bill. i got to tell you, Hope Springs is eternal for the shovel already. I'm skeptical because these projects take forever, but it makes sense as a trade, always has, always will. Fifth positive, even as COVID cases spike, there is a recognition that the economy, the real economy, is actually getting stronger. Remember uh, Jim Fisher, Center for Waste Management? Getting stronger. Housing keeps getting boosted by low interest rates and city dwellers fleeing to the suburbs. If you have to be stuck at home, you might as well live in a big house rather than a tiny apartment. We're also seeing lots of remodeling as people set up home offices and outdoor kitchens where you can safely entertain your friends. Remember last night? Uh, Ms. Rendell talking about Clorox, Kingsford's outside. Now that the next wave is indeed upon us, we're seeing a surge of auto sales. It started with used cars. Uh, that's at Carvana and, and also uh, Lithia. But as an inventory runs off, new cars are selling, too. Now, there's so much demand that I feel confident recommending. First, Ford last week, it took my life, hand. That's working. And now General Motors, two stocks that seem like value traps, traps not that long ago. But if you move to the suburbs and you need a car to get around, Don't forget the auto industry was shut down for a couple months, so there's no big inventory bolts that needs to be worked off, as there often is at this time of year. Plus the strength of the auto trickles down to everything from steel to plastic to the railroads. Did you see those? Now seemingly out of nowhere, we're getting a pickup in industrial demand. Witness yesterday's terrific PMI number. I think it's possible we really are having a V-shaped recovery of sorts. Although, who knows if we can keep it at the, as the pandemic spirals out of control again. And I don't mean to be harsh to the people who are losing their job because a V-shaped recovery sounds like everybody's benefiting, and they're not. Finally, let me give you the oddest reason of all for today's run. As we approach the end of President Trump's first and possibly only term, I'm struck by the fact that there simply aren't many Trump stocks. Man, I put this button on four years ago. You know that? Trump stock. Trump stock. Oh, hey! Oh, yeah. Oh, no, just a like I got one. New core. I was actually wearing the helmet earlier today. Um, the Nucor, the big steel maker, that kind of boost from the president's tariffs on Chinese dumping. Even with the tariffs, Nucor hasn't been a great performer. Without well, that, it's been much worse, though. But if Biden wins, OK, listen, while Wall Street generally likes Trump, there's one thing it hates, and that's that trade war with China. Of course, I'm in favor of it, but so what? We have so many big companies that will be showered with Chinese orders if Biden wins. Let I me mean, think about it. It's fabulous news for 3M. Oh, it's so good for Nike, Caterpillar. Oh, boy, Boeing, Starbucks, and especially Apple all of which will breathe a sigh of relief. Unlike Trump, Biden's more pro-immigration. More immigrants means more demand for housing and retail. Higher population, higher GDP. Now, the big exception here is taxes. Trump's tied to lower corporate tax rates. That's been fabulous for the stock market. Biden wants to roll these back and raise individual taxes on higher earners. So if Biden wins tonight, that might put some short-term pressure on the market. But from the market's perspective, a tax hike is a one-off thing. You bake it in, then you move on. If Trump wins... We get the status quo, and the status quo has been pretty darn good for stocks. Both could lead to sell-offs. Both sell-offs, they need to be bought. The bottom line, I know everybody's worked up about the election, but today the stock market said, don't worry, be happy. Whether it's Trump or Biden, your portfolio is going to be all right. And if we get clobbered by some electoral delay or any other reason, I'm telling you right now, I want you to be prepared to do some buying. Jason in California. Jason.
2: (laughs) Hi, Jim. I have a question about Uber and Lyft. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the California voting on uh, Section 22 tomorrow, how do you see Uber and Lyft in 2021? And also, do you still believe in thank you for 2021?
1: Well, look, I, I, all I can tell you is this, is that we, you know, 24 hours from now, we're going to know a lot more than we know now. So, I think it would be uh, the kind of thing that would just be ill advised for me to opine on something that we will know uh, because it will change things dramatically. Because I don't think either company's business model can survive under a true employment issue, like what that ballot issue would be if it went against those two companies. How about we go to Chris in Texas, please? Chris. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. First, wanted to wish my wonderful wife a happy birthday this week. Oh, definitely. And, uh, Jim, to your wife as well, I think she has a birthday this week. I'm sorry, which one? Uh, and I said, I, to your wife as well, I think she has a birthday oh, this week. Oh, yeah, she, uh, she, uh, she was turned 35. Man, she's on. Like, wow. Uh, she told me to my, say that. My wife as well. All right. Yeah. Well, my question, I'm a teacher, and on an episode last week, you said to listen to our children for exciting stuff. Yes. Um, all of my students are
2: playing the online game Among Us. Even Congresswoman Alexandria Ocosia-Cortez is playing. While the while the developer Inner Sloth is
1: a small private developer, the game uses the platform or game engine Unity software symbol U. You and if I are Unity in the exact is, you know that you and I are in the exact same break. Ben, this is what my daughter told me about too. Said this is very for real. I have liked it. I like Unity a lot, actually. I like, Snowfl- I like Snowflake, too. I am conscious that these are incredibly expensive stocks, Tony. But remember, I always encourage one or two informed speculations in a, in a portfolio, and Unity is a real good one. And, yes, listen to your kids. That's Chris. Listen to your kids. Let's go to Tony in North Carolina. Tony.
2: What's up, Jim? How you doing?
1: Oh, man, it's just a great day. Great day at the office. Whole team is uh, there. I'm, excited Fantastic. To be on. I'm to taking my call. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, my pleasure. Okay. Uh, with the company I'm, uh, I'm picking it up little by little. The company
2: earnings coming up next week, and their expanded footprint in the industry, and of course the election. What are your What are your thoughts on growth generation?
1: I want to see how many states. Uh, approved marijuana. I particularly want to see what happens in New Jersey. I know that there's a heavy short base in this. When they report, the shorts will try to knock it down immediately, as they did with Bed Bath & Beyond. Be ready for that. I do think, remember, the stock is up gigantically this year, but and it is a roll-up. They just put the third one of the largest single one of the hydroponics. This is the Home Depot for cannabis. Let's see what they have to say, and I'm going to Craig in New York.
2: Craig! I have a significant position in American Tower. You do. Should I keep it there or diversify some of I it? I want you to history? cut some of
1: that. Now, I'm going to be very critical about this. The guy who got us to American Tower, the guy who made us about 250 points, is a man by the name of Jim Takler. Jim now runs Lockheed Martin. Cut that position in half. We don't know enough about the new CEO, and you're up very, very big. Wouldn't it be horrible to lose that game? And Jim Takliff, by the way, Lockheed, I think he's going to turn it around. That last quarter was not that perfect, just so you know. All right, if this election is making you nervous, believe me, you're not alone. But today the market said, hey, don't worry. Now, look, your portfolio is going to be okay either way. We will help you through this. Well, man, money tonight, election night is here. But the unknowns, they haven't dissipated. I'm going off the charts to find out what to buy if you want to protect yourself against any sort of economic unrest. And believe me, it's very similar to the previous show to what we were on here tonight. A lot, a lot of similarities. Then the market hung on to a rally ahead of tonight's historic election. I'm getting a preview of tonight's coverage. Your money, your vote, with Shep Smith. And Thermo Fisher, what's we'll up about 240% since Donald Trump took office? I'm going to talk to the, the power of American innovation with the company's amazing CEO and its great devices. So I would stay with Kramer.
0: Don't miss a second of Mad Money.
1: After a surprisingly strong session, and many thought Election Day would be brutal, but maybe we got the pain out of the way last week. Why don't we talk about the future? That's what matters. Some things are unavoidable. They're they're coming regardless of who wins tonight. For instance, we know the COVID cases keep spiking. We had 93,000 new infections just yesterday. And as hospitals across the country start running out of beds, and it is happening, it's not a political issue, I think that's going to have a chilling effect on any business that needs people to show up in person. Uh, That's especially true if schools need to be shut down, forcing some parents to miss work. Now, we also know that there will be another major stimulus package after the election. The Democrats may want more spending than the Republicans. But even with a smaller bailout package, we're still dealing with an additional trillion dollars of government borrowing, potentially much more. I'm betting we hear a lot more hand-wringing about the deficit, possibly as soon as tomorrow. There will also be endless Jeremiah ads about how all this deficit spending is dangerously inflationary. So what do you do? What do you buy? If you want some insurance against inflation or just general economic chaos, it's time-honored. You need some gold. That's why tonight we're going off the charts with the help of Carolyn Barodin. She's that brilliant technician who runs the FibonacciQueen.com website. She also happens to be one of my colleagues at RealMoney.com. We've got to get a better sense of the precious metal that I know so many of you are interested in. Now, after spending just years in purgatory, well, look at that. This is just incredible. Gold prices have rocketed higher over the past 12 months, although they pulled back a bit from their highs. Those were from early August. Check out the weekly chart of the continuous gold futures. Even after the recent decline, Brodin points out that gold remains in a longer-term uptrend. That is pretty beautiful, I have to tell you. Uh, What is that called? That's a pattern of higher highs and higher lows. Notice he doesn't take out that last low. That's exactly what you want to see in the chart. More importantly, when she looks at past declines going back to 2013, she sees this pattern. It's what's known as symmetry. That's what she looks for. Many of these declines have been very similar in size, taking gold down from 235, uh, 262. When Broden ran 100% projections of these previous swings, they suggested that the precious metal could find a bottom, somewhere between 1,827 and 1,853. Well, sure enough... (laughs) That's about where gold has repeatedly found a floor of support over the last couple of months. It's pretty incredible. Right now, it's over $1,900, all right? That's up roughly $50 bucks from September lows. As long as gold holds above that level, Broden believes the long-term uptrend remains intact, meaning it can resume its long march higher. How much higher? Look, based on Fibonacci methodology, think she thinks it's going to take out 21 Um, that's roughly 13% from where the shiny stuff is currently trading. I want that money. I hope you do, too. Again, that only works if gold holds above the mid-1800s, which I think it will. That said, Broden's pretty confident that gold has already bottomed because of what she sees in the daily chart. So let's take a look at the daily chart. That was the weekly. So we go to the daily. And what we're going to see is last week, the precious metal, uh, it pulled back and retested the September lows, okay? So, I mean, that's, you know, we saw that this very quick pullback of the lows held and now gold's bouncing around again. More importantly, though, you've got gold. Remember how Broden operates. She looks at past swings in a given security. Then she runs them through that rubric of Fibonacci ratios, a series of numbers that repeat over and over again in nature. They say flowers, pine cones, snail shells. The result, Fibonacci Queen gets a series of critical prices or critical dates where a stock or commodity or an index is likely to change its trajectory. For gold, Broden saw a cluster of Fibonacci timing cycles that predicted an important low in October. This is the important low, uh, October 29th to 30th. Sure enough, the actual low came in on the 29th. So there's a good chance that that was the turning point. She has been so spot on in this. That's why we're spending time on it. Now, what would make her even more bullish? Okay, brown wants to see gold take out some key resistance levels. There's one up a few points from here at 1910. It's kind of interesting level. Uh, another one, these are very tight here, 1919, 1922. Clearly, these two hurdles along with the October high at 1939. If, if she gets beyond those, I mean, it's going to be really smooth sailing. As long as the precious metal hangs in above the mid-1800s, call her a buyer. I think she's going to be dead right. You know how much I like gold here. Now, here's the bottom line. The charts, as interpreted by Carolyn Broden, suggest that gold prices could have a lot more room to run. Okay? And that currently fits with the current backdrop that we see in the news. So if you don't already own some, perhaps it's time, right now, pick up some bullion. Or maybe some GLD, the ETF. Or maybe some shares in Kramer-fave Barrack. Gold. Let's go to Thomas in Virginia. Thomas. Hey, Jim. Booyah. Booyah, Thomas. What's going first, on? First time caller. Mm-hmm. Hey, listen, uh, LAC, Lithium America, they mine uh, lithium for the ion batteries for Tesla, General Motors, Ford. Yes. Uh, is it good goodbye or should I just... No, no, it's the- too dicey. Now, I know I was reading last night about hydro I read about hydrogen every night. And I know that uh, that Elon Musk does not care for hydrogen. Uh, I hate to ever be on the other side of his trade, but I think I like both hydrogen and I like his batteries. Uh, plug power, guys, don't get too carried away. I, mean, like, I obviously like it, but I do believe that hydrogen is the fuel of the future because of how much natural gas we have. And remember, that's green hydrogen. OK, Matthew in California. Matthew. Hey, Mr. Craver. How are you doing? I'm and good. Huge fans of the show. Thank you. Yeah, so my question is, I'm a senior at UC Berkeley with only a basic understanding of investments, and so when I enter the workforce next year, how much energy and time should I actually spend each day or each week focusing and managing my savings and investments in the market? Well, look, if you have the time and you have the inclination, I want you to spend – I actually want you to do a lot. I want you to get comfortable. I want you to start with paper trading. Uh, I want you to put all your initially until you get to $10,000. I want that to be in index funds. And I want you to get confident. I don't want you to be in too many uh, speculative stocks. I want you to find a fine, uh, fine group of growth stocks. You're too young to be owning value. Uh, don't worry about the dividends so much as trying to get growth and some speculation after you've gotten $10,000 into a S&P index fund. All right? And congratulations. I think that's terrific. Berkeley, Cow charts suggest gold's going higher, people. and You know how much I like it. You know I think you should have some bullion or some GLD. Or, or, yes, you can buy that, uh, buy some Barrett gold. I mean, Mark Bristow's doing a great job there. Okay, now, there's much more mad money ahead, including my exclusive with Thermo Fisher. Oh, boy. The company's essential in the fight against COVID-19. So what does the election outcome mean for the stock? This might be the finest company in America right now. We're going to speak to the CEO. And then I'm reviewing the five biggest misconceptions that spring from presidential elections and the stocks you should look at right now. But first, as polls begin to close in the coming hours, I'm getting a preview of CNBC's election night coverage. Your money, your vote with Shepard Smith. So stay with Kramer. All eyes on in the election tonight, and cbc has got you covered on all angles. So what should you be focused on as polls begin to close in the coming hours? Here to break it all down, very exciting, is our own Shepard Smith, who hosts CNBC's special election coverage starting at 7 p.m. Eastern tonight. Shep, good Pr- to have you on the show. Pramer, it's like the Super Bowl. <laughs> it is. It is our Super Bowl, and it's certainly yours, yours Captain. So well, let me ask you right straight away. Um, where should we get the earliest indications? What should we be looking for? I know it's going to be a very short time. To give us an indication on what might happen tonight.
0: Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, Ohio. All four of those close in the first hour. So between 7 o'clock Eastern and 8 o'clock Eastern time, all of those will close. And if Biden gets any one of those four, any one of them, that could be a knockout punch. Because there are three states across the top that, that, Trump has to get one of to stay in the game. And if he can get one of those four states, Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, and Ohio, that could be game over. Florida is going to take a little while cuz Florida is always close, but they had 9 million early votes. So the lines in Broward County that we usually have haven't really been there today. Georgia had an enormous amount of early vote too, and the anecdotal evidence is that lots of African American turnout. You know, Georgia is now seems to be go around these nine counties that surround Atlanta, that's where it's upwardly mobile, it's more diverse and and, and more educated, and that's a spot that if that, those numbers come out very large, Georgia could swing to the left. So those are the kinds of things that could, could make change in America. Well, what I'm hearing, Shep, is
1: that maybe uh, many of us are too focused on my home state, Pennsylvania. And that it may
0: not even, is it possible? It might not matter? Well, it's possible that it won't matter, but it's also possible that everything could come down to Pennsylvania. And, and you know, the rules there because of the way they set them up, they won't even start counting some of those votes until tomorrow. We may not know definitively until Friday, but the chances are because the path for Donald Trump is so slim. If he gets past all these other obstacles, it could very well come down to Pennsylvania and then it could be a legal slugfest. Well, let me ask you something just to go back to the South again. I lived in Tallahassee,
1: Florida, and Mm -hmm. that was about as conservative as I've ever seen. Are they late voters? In other words, could
0: they make it so that we shouldn't be too hasty about what happens in Florida? I don't think so. And, you know, with Florida, the farther south south you go in Florida, the farther north you really are in the way people roll. (laughs) So that that panhandle area from Pensacola, Escambia, Okaloosa, Walton Bay counties in the panhandle, that's traditionally all red. Then in South Florida, the Palm Beaches, Broward, Miami-Dade, that, that's, largely, that's largely a blue area. And then we always talk about that I-4 corridor as sort of, you know, deciding what Florida's going to do because it's, it's sort of suburban, it's, it's largely white, it's sort of middle class. Right. That part of Florida has changed, and it's been changing, and it's much changed now. And, and that's not a, a solidly red segment anymore.
1: Well, look, I can't wait to listen to you. I will also join you a bit. Yes. I love you on the network. You are doing an amazing job. And we have got some unbelievable coverage with you. 7 p.m. starting. Shepard Smith. I'll be joining you. Listen up, America. It's been a wild time. Can't wait to see Chef. Thank you. Thank you. We'll see you then. All right, buddy. In the meantime, we're going to open up the phone lines. Let's go to Jim in California. Jim. Jimbo. Yes. Hey. I find myself in a bit of a fix because of you and your show. What'd that be? I've been listening and learning for quite a few years, and because of your recommendations and your investment rule of no individual holding over 20% of your portfolio, I have this year repeatedly sold several stocks, and now I'm looking at big capital gains, yep. and therefore a big jump in my tax bracket. All right. Two quick questions and remark. Is there any strategy to deal with this now? I've already sold everything I held. that have a lost capital gains. Number two, the future. What do I do to avoid this? Okay, look, just- it's, a, it's, a big, it's a big portfolio issue. And I came up with someone I was talking to this weekend who just had a monster holding an apple. Thanked me for that. And I said, look, I think that it's important that you recognize portfolio discipline. I think you've done all the selling that you need to do. But understand that you didn't do wrong. I mean, can you imagine if the market went down big? Now, you can say it never did, Jim. But I would come back and say the discipline always trumps conviction. You did the right thing. Now you can hold on. The market comes down. Maybe you start to train all over again. All aboard. Christopher in California. Christopher. Hey, Jim. Hope you're doing well. Doing OK. How about you? Very good. Thank you. I think the near-term FDA approval for a COVID vaccine could be a greater market catalyst than the outcome of the presidential election. What are your thoughts, and how can investors hedge their positions? Well, I mean, there's so many different companies that are doing it, um, and I, I look—I'm quite confident in, in science. I know that I was mocked in the New York Times for being confident in science. I'm confident in the people who are really smart in those classes that we decide not to take. I think that you just gonna have to roll with the punches, though, in this one. I don't think you're going to see anything. Uh, uh, beyond the first quarter. And the reason is because unless you're one of these areas that's a hot spot, I mean, if you get, if you're in the vaccine, in the trials here in New York, you're going to have to be hard pressed to find COVID. There's other areas where there's nothing but COVID, but those people don't seem to want to be uh, part of that. I don't blame them. But anyway, we got some time. First quarter. Alexia, uh, New Jersey. Alexia.
2: Hello. Thanks for all you do for the individual investor. Uh, thank and you, Alexia.
1: Hair-takers. For an elderly family member who lived with us, thank you for advocating masks so diligently. You bet. Man, I am unstoppable on that issue. Unstoppable. (laughs) I will not be stopped. Thank you. Our question is about Teladoc. You were very bullish on their merger with Lavongo, but sure. since the earnings report, the stock seems to have lost its mojo. Are all systems filled buy, buy, buy with T-Doc? Look, I think the combination is fabulous. I think it's going to become the new United Health. It's going to become the fintech of healthcare. And because of that, I think we often just say, you know what, we're going to take some short-term pain. The fintech of healthcare, after what we've seen with the fintech of, of banks? I uh, it's it, 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 we got we gotta be long. we have to be long it. And I think you just take your time and do it right. Democrat, Republican, Independent. We're all Kramericans here. So stick with
0: ah. Kramer.
1: As the most acrimonious election living memory comes to an end, I don't want to lose sight of the fact that we still do great things in this country. I want you to look at Thermo Fisher Scientific. That's a Massachusetts-based company that we've loved for so long. It's the world's leading maker of life sciences instruments and lab equipment. When the pandemic first hit, Thermo Fisher stepped up. They've created COVID-19 tests, supplied government agencies, given researchers priority access to all sorts of equipment, and it's really paid off. A couple of weeks ago, the company reported a spectacular quarter. We're talking a monster $1.30 earnings beat off of $4.33 basis, 34% organic growth. This was maybe, they already pre-announced, and they beat the pre-announcement. This longtime Kramer fave has been a big winner under both Democratic and Republican presidents. I bet it keeps winning. Don't take it from me. Let's check in with Mark Casper. He's the chairman, president and CEO of Thermo Fisher. Get a better sense of where his company's headed. Mr. Casper, welcome back to Bad Money.
2: Jim, thanks for having me back. It's great to be here. Mark, I want to
1: thank you. I I can't speak on behalf of the American people, but I can speak as someone who follows companies. You've done more to try to stop this than anyone in our country. And that's not just including including the politicians. And it's done a remarkable job. You are PCR. You are the gold standard. Can you explain to people how you took a machine that you already had adapted it and created something that has really saved many tens of thousands of lives.
2: So Jim, you know, our role has been to support governments, hospitals, doctors around the world to fight the pandemic. And as the largest of the life science tools and diagnostics companies, we took our PCR uh, instrument, which is used for telling you whether you have a virus and rapidly scaled up the test kits so that we could supply the United States in a very dramatic way so that people would have the information they needed to know whether or not somebody had the virus.
1: It's a rather remarkable ramp up. And we're talking about in March of 2020, you had capacity to do 5000 tests per week. I mean, we're now talking about 20,000 tests per week And your most recent when you talk about uh, the different combo
2: kits you have. uh, And I think you're going to be even doing more than that. Correct. Yeah, So, Jim, when you think about the, the capabilities, we actually are have the capacity to produce 20 million tests a week. Wow. It's an astonishing number. And the numbers you're quoting are actually the instrumentation that we sell right. to support the labs around the world. But, you know, if you think about since the pandemic has happened, we supported more than 100 million PCR tests to tell a doctor whether somebody has the virus or not. It's been an amazing ramp up from literally no revenue Uh, No sales in beginning of March to that type of scale. But how are you able to do 20 million tests per week? Where are these machines? So the the instruments um, are across laboratories in the United States, Uh, uh, the major players, uh, the reference labs, hospitals. And you would find uh, them across the world. And what we're selling that 20 million is the kits that you run on the instruments. Uh, to say whether or not somebody has the virus.
1: Now, you've also got a new pool test that I think would be ideal for situations where there's not that many people who may have it, so you don't have to do individual tests for everyone.
2: Yeah, so in this case, what you do is you pool samples, and that way you look, if there's a positive, then you can do a retest to figure out who actually has positive, and if they're all negative, uh, then you don't. And what it really tells you is PCR is the gold standard because it can detect very, very minute amounts of the virus in a sample, And give uh, the medical community that information that they need.
1: Now, you do an antigen turnaround, but in your most recent documents, I saw a turnaround, a PCR machine that might be able to turn around very quickly. What is the hope in terms of being able to have the the holy grail, which was fast turn and uh, almost 100% accurate, which is what the PCR is now?
2: Yeah, so in this case, we just launched a product called Amplitude. It's the highest volume instrument for running PCR tests. And what it really does is labs can do about 8,000 tests a day on a single instrument platform. And that allows them to be able to give very rapid turnaround time on those PCR tests. And you get the gold standard results, but you can get it very quick.
1: This is what confused me. Who can possibly do 8,000 tests a day? Don't you need like 25,
2: 30, 40 uh, clinicians? No, actually, it's incredibly automated so that really with just a couple technicians, you can actually do that. At a time, so that's really the beauty of the system. Because, as you know, there's been so much uh, testing going on, labor availability, the workflow—all of those things get very complicated. We've simplified it in a very significant way. You also
1: have, uh, and you did have this in Great Investment Day. And one of the things that I saw on the Investment Day was that you work with all of the companies that are doing vaccines: Novavax, Moderna, Janssen, GSK, AstraZeneca, Pfizer, Curex. You are in a position, without necessarily betting on a particular horse or pointing one out to be able to give me some comfort in the rest of America. Are some of these guys going to come through and save us?
2: So, Jim, we're involved in 250 different projects, both therapies and vaccines. We're actually involved in two different ways, providing the technologies to make those products and then ultimately using our manufacturing network for pharmaceuticals, over 40 factories, to produce whichever ones are successful clinically. Based on what we hear and see with our customers, there's a lot of optimism about what's going on in the pipeline, but of course, that's going to be up to the regulators ultimately.
1: Yeah, I I don't want to leave sight, I mean, it is mad money. The numbers here are just extraordinary. The growth that you had, I mean, you did in the first quarter before pandemic, delivered 2% organic growth, 5% growth in adjusted EPS. By Q2, you're delivering 11% organic growth, 28% growth in adjusted EPS, and it just gets keeping better and getting better and better and better. I've described to people that this is not something that's going to fall off a cliff, that sadly, we're going to be doing this maybe the rest of our lives.
2: So, Jim, the results that we've delivered is a testament to the team. Eighty thousand remarkable colleagues that I'm so uh, grateful for their efforts to respond to the pandemic. We see our position to be long-lasting because the capacity that we've expanded, you know, about eight hundred million dollars in additional investments. That's going to get repurposed after COVID for other applications, so that you know, effectively, we'll transition from the big COVID response to supporting other pharmaceuticals. Our instruments that will be used in the, in the diagnostic labs will be used for other testing as well. So we think the pandemic, unfortunately, is going to be with us a bit longer. Um, we'll be there to help our customers uh, attack that virus. And then when that subsides, uh, we'll help our customers make the world healthier, cleaner, and safer. Excellent.
1: Now, the last question. It's election night. Do you expect any, is there any, when it comes to saving lives and using your equipment, Biden administration, Trump administration, uh, does it matter?
2: It's our job to support whichever administration. We've had good collaboration with the current administration, with Congress, and uh, we look forward to supporting the government going forward to help combat um, a really challenging environment.
1: Well, you've done an amazing job. The percentages of of how well you have done versus the S&P. I'm talking about a cool 1,580 percent versus 135 percent for the S&P. Mark Casper, thank you for doing everything for your shareholders and for the country. Great to see you, sir. Thanks, Jim, for having me. Yeah. Thermo Fisher Chairman, President, CEO uh, Mark Fisher. I got I, Mark Casper. I got to tell you, Mark. I've known Mark for a long time. Uh, I cannot believe what he's accomplished, and I, I think I got to tell you, there's much, much more ahead for Mr. Casper and for Thermo Fisher. TMO. Man, money's back in the right It is time. And then the lighting round is over. Are you ready? Steve us keep the lighting round. Let's start with Jim. In work on Jim. Hey, booyah, Jim. Booyah. Hey, uh,
2: long-time listener, first-time caller. Love your show. You do a great job. Thanks Thank for all your advice. All right. Yeah, you hey, the stop. I, I want to...
1: Yeah, I wanted to uh, find out your opinion. This stock's been up the last two days, 14%. Wanted to know your opinion for the next two or three years on FSR, Fisker. Fisker, okay. I'm glad you gave me two- to three-year time frame because, remember, there's nothing really going to be out in the market there until 2022 in, this, in the interim. I have to tell you, I think that is a beautiful car. It looks like they've converted the company. I say it's a decent spec. Yes, I'm giving him that after interviewing Mr. Fisker twice. I think it's a decent spec. Thank you, for Bill McDermott from ServiceNow, which is a great stock for pointing me in the right direction. John. In Florida, John! Hi, Jim. Booyah, and thanks for taking my call. Oh, of course. Thank you. Okay, the stock I want your opinion on today has a unique way of fighting cancer. They are in multiple trials right now in various cancers and have just teamed up with Merck on lung cancer, which I think is a huge positive. The stock backed off yesterday because of a private placement. And Jim, if you could even get the CEO on for an update with this company, I think it would be a great interview. Uh, is this a good time to add to my position in Novacure and Okay, remember that Novacure, uh, Bill Doyle comes on. He's the chairman. Uh, the stock has come down. I am a total believer in the technology. I think it is a fantastic, look, anything that, that can even extend the life of people who have cancer. I think it is a decent level to be able to buy, so I'm going to endorse it there. I need to go to Michael in Florida. Michael.
2: Jim, hey, thank you for your guidance during these times. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, my stock is a drug stock that uh, had a big drop on Friday. Uh, it used to be called Seattle Genetics. It's now CGen.
1: Yeah, we got to talk to uh, Clay. We got to talk to Dr. Seagal because, boy, I did not like one bit when he said actually. an or actual game We sold a lot in 200. We feel really good. Merck pay paid, paid 200, uh, 200 for a uh, very big billion dollars stake." That said, I did not like his notion in the comp school. He says, look, People are not getting their cancer treatment because they don't want to go to the hospital. I, that I, that sounded fatuous. So, uh, Clay, please come back so we can find out what's really going on with your great company. I need to go to Ben in New York. Ben. Booyah, Jimmy Chill. Holy cow, man. Chill. Hey, Chill was <laughs> on the attack this afternoon. I don't know what got into him. What's happening? Thank you for your show. Thank you for everything you do. It's very, very important during these times to have something to look forward to. So the stock I'm calling about is R-U-N Sunrun. They had a merger that went through. Then once it went through, it dropped down 40%. What happened? Well, I mean, look, all the this, this solar stocks are really... Uh, yeah, I know, man. They went the long... long the, the, I'll tell you, the long knives were out with that one, which is why I always default to FSLR, First Solar, which had a magnificent quarter. Remember, there's also a lot of people in, in, a, in a Trump environment. It's not necessarily going to be a home run, okay?
2: Let's go to Mark and Ford of Mark. Hi, Jim. Thanks uh, for all your advice over the years. I'm hoping you'll share some of your great insight with me. Um, I thought that with the spike in COVID that fewer people would be returning to their offices and instead be working from home and that this would be a big positive for big lots. The analysts I've read seem to be positive and it has a $61 price target. But over the past week, it's been underperforming the market, though it's been up today. Well, a lot of what- these are.
1: Um, my friend who runs uh, John Duskin runs M- Missellum, who's got like a million shares. He's the guy who turned me on to Bed Bath. I uh, told me in the single digits there was a buy. He-, he tells me to hold, that hold tight with big lots. I'm not a big fan, but at least there's definitely some great adherence. And that ladies and gentlemen, to the conclusion of the lightning round.
2: The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
1: Now the election's almost over. Let's go over the five biggest misconceptions this campaign season. At least it com- when it comes to the stock market. First misconception, the Democrats, if they take Congress in the White House, they'll slash the defense budget. Granted, there are lots of Democrats who would love to do that, but they don't work in Washington. In truth, Democratic politicians love spending money on defense. Especially the high-tech stuff. L3 Harris is a pure play with a stock that's been a real talk. Oh, man. I like it. Good management, good book of business. You might want to consider Raytheon. We had them on last week. Has a $70 billion defense business backlog. Oh, but they also have a ton of aerospace exposure. Right now, that's a disaster. I think that could turn around next year, though. Lockheed, Martin, LMT, General Dynamics, they both miss their numbers. They're both worth considering here because they are just incredibly cheap. Jim Takelett, formerly the high, highly successful CEO of American Tower, now runs Lockheed. And I bet, he think, I bet he turns things around. They've got a lot of competition in the space world. Second myth, if there are a blue, blue wave to be had, well, we're going to see big changes in health care that will hurt the managed care companies and bring down drug prices. Oh, please. We heard that before. We heard it with Bill Clinton, who ended up doing next to nothing. We heard about it with Barack Obama, who passed a sweeping health care bill that was a huge giveaway to the managed care companies. A giveaway! And to the pharmaceutical pharmaceutical industry. did great. So if Biden wins, don't outthink this. Buy the health care stocks they dip. That's right. Buy them. Buy, don't sell them. Buy, buy, buy. Hey, how about I'm a big fan of Centene, Michael Neidorf, right? Bristol Myers just got a, a very good news about a new drug. Almost all the managed care drug stocks will get punished and then they'll bounce back. Third myth. Biden will be bad for the oil business. Not so fast. Biden will be bad for Drilling. But that's actually good for the oil business because there's a huge supply glut right now. Making it harder to drill will drive up prices and help the producers. That means you'll pay more at the pump. But you can offset that by buying, say, Pioneer Natural Resources, or if you need some income, Chevron. Think about it like this. We've had four years of drill baby drill under Trump, and oil's at 38 bucks a barrel. Good if you drive an SUV, bad if you own the oil stocks. Fourth myth, the banks will do worse under Biden than they have under Trump. They know nothing! Again, there are many Democrats who would love to crush the banks, but Biden's not one of them, frankly. The the status quo isn't exactly great for the financials. They can't raise their dividends. They can't buy back stock. I think there's a lot of things that they can do under a Biden administration they can't do under Trump. Look, Wall Street generally prefers Republicans over Democrats, but they heavily favored Biden this time around. They don't like surprises. They don't like uncertainty. Trump wants to keep you on the edge of your seat. Biden is boring. The banks love boring. Remember, Biden was vice president for eight years, and the Obama administration didn't send a single banker to prison after the financial crisis. If he wins, I'd actually double down on the stock that my own for the chattel trust, Goldman Sachs, or on a very inexpensive Morgan Stanley. Final myth, that the Democrats want to break up big tech. Man, I wish. After that incredible quarter from Alphabet, where they broke out all these different divisions, I realized that a breakup would be huge for shareholders these businesses would be worth more as independent companies. Same goes for Amazon, probably. However, in the end, the Democrats won't break up anything, so let's knock it off. Even if they bring an antitrust case against big tech, I doubt, I doubt they can find a judge to play along. Why do these misconceptions continue to exist? We want to believe that everything is on the line in election year, but some things simply aren't on the ballot. At the end of the day, big business mostly gets what it needs, regardless of who's in the White House, like it or not. America is a capitalist country. One election is not going to change that, especially when both candidates like capitalism just fine. Don't go anywhere. I'm joining Shepard Smith and the rest of the amazing CNBC bench, Carl Quintanilla, Melissa Lee, Scotty Wadner, and more for nonstop election coverage in the way we do best. Your money, your vote on CNBC tonight. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere and I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now.
0: I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe.